0: If you've been listening to our podcast, you've probably caught on that we believe it's essential to optimize your nutrition during pregnancy and postpartum to support you and your baby's well-being. And although eating a healthy, well-balanced diet is crucial during these times in a woman's life, it might not be enough. Pregnancy and postpartum greatly increase the needs for certain nutrients, and to make things worse, factors such as stress, caffeine and sugar consumptions, poor sleep, and even chronic health conditions can all dramatically increase nutrient needs even more. That's why we decided to partner with Seeking Health, a high-quality supplement company that offers a variety of supplements to help you optimize your nutrition and get everything your body needs during these unique times in your life. Their supplements are made with bioavailable pure ingredients in CGMP certified facilities in the U.S., and they have an award-winning prenatal line. They also offer a rewards program, so make sure to sign up for an account when you make a purchase to save money on future orders. Click the link in the show notes to shop for Seeking Health Supplements today. Now on to today's episode hello and welcome to modern moms wellness podcast i am renata and this is jenna and we are here to discuss with you all things motherhood and the journey through the process with simple and practical advice and guidance with that being said we have reached episode eight which is on natural immune system support excuse me and you know it's that time of the year it's mid-october uh cold and flu rsv viruses they're all coming out of the woodwork and uh you know if you have kids and they're in school daycare like you're you're gonna be seeing that you know your kids coming home with the sniffles and you know as a working mom or even a stay-at-home mom you know we want to try to prevent these especially if we're in the postpartum period you know that that's a very crucial part of motherhood um as well as it all but Yeah. So we basically go into the naturopathic side of healing, you know, which is to eliminate bad habits, uh, introduce correct habits, and then create new principles of living like proper nutrition and natural ways to heal. So yeah. So tell us a little bit, a little bit more about immune health, Jenna.
1: Yeah. So I thought I'd kick it off just by um, (laughs) uh, reading off a definition of immune health, just so we kind of set the foundation of what this all means. Mm -hmm. So immune health refers to how well your body can defend itself against germs, viruses, and other harmful invaders um, that can make you sick. So when your immune system is in good shape, it's like having a strong, well-trained army that guards your body against enemy attacks. The army defends threats, uh, fights off illnesses, and remembers past invaders to protect you better if they attack again. So maintaining your immune health means keeping this personal defense army as prepared and as strong as possible. Um, And I want to talk about some common misconceptions about immune health. Um, And these are ideas that we're going to touch on as we go throughout the episode. So these are the things that people commonly think are true about immune health. So the first one is boosting the immune system is always good. The second one is vitamins and supplements can always prevent illness the third Mm -hmm. one is getting sick means your immune system is weak and the fourth one is you only need to think about your immune health when you're sick Mm. um so yeah like i said we're gonna be diving into each of these topics deeper and kind of you know debunking them and and helping uh everyone understand um uh, the truth behind all of those things.
0: Yeah. And that could kind of bring into the aspect of holistic health in general, like mm-hmm. being the whole body a hundred percent of the time. I mean, obviously we can't always be a hundred percent, you know, you know, thinking about our own body all the time, but, uh, like a hundred percent of the time, just being, Wondering if my immune is function, my immune system is functioning well. So, like whole the whole body and how it works and how holistic health can play a role into that too. So, yeah. So, um, I think we can really go into like we could start going into how um, the gut and how it's affiliated with immune health and how we should be taking care of our gut most of the time to potentially prevent illnesses from coming up and that could be cold flu, you know, RSV sicknesses like that, but also other illnesses that can come from not maintaining a good gut microbiome, like, um, autoimmune diseases, for instance, and stuff. So one thing that's really important is the gut brain access and how, um, the gut can also play a role in mental health too. So, um, Yeah. So basically like the, the GBA gut brain access consists of the communication between the central and the enteric nervous system, linking emotional and cognitive centers of the brain with peripheral intestinal functions. So that's that gut brain accent, the access, the intestinal and the peripheral, which is up in the brain and goes throughout your whole body. There's neurological links. Um, and research has described the importance of gut micro microbiota and in influencing these interactions so yes yeah, so what you put in your belly is going to play a role in immune response mm-hmm. um, metabolic function adrenal fatigue uh you know weight gain or is a possible thing with that too i mean that's besides the point point in the fact of immune system health right now but even your cortisol levels if you're you know you're in a fi- adrenal fatigue your cortisol levels are imbalanced and that could create fight and flight and also a poor immune response too but we'll get into also like how to relieve stress and natural ways to relieve stress to 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 help with that um so yeah one thing um the interaction between the microbiota microbiota and the gba appears to be bi-directional namely through signaling from gut microbiota to the brain, from the brain to the gut. Uh, So this means neural hormones, emotions, cognitive function, endocrine, reproductive and hormone, immune, which lays in your gut, and then the humeral links. So this is all related. So that's why it's really good to constant, well, I, I say that lightly, but like constantly just think of how our immune system is doing day to day.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think something that's really interesting is 70% of our immune system is found in our gut. Yeah. So that's why there is that huge um, connection between the gut and the brain. And the gut is considered to be the second brain. Um, Yep. So, and another important thing is that um, the mucosal layer, the mucosal lining in the gut um, is a first line of defense for protecting foreign invaders, um, you know, unwanted bacteria, viruses, even um, food particles from getting mm-hmm. into the body and creating that immune response. So these are all things that um, are, so the, um, supporting the mucosal layer is another important aspect of immune health. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and when we, we'll get into some supplements. So there are some specific types of, um, probiotics and things that we can do, um, when we talk about dietary habits further that can help support, um, the, the gut health. Um, and yeah, another thing that you mentioned was, um, was the link between mental health and the gut. So a big part of that is inflammation research Mm -hmm. has shown that there's, um, for, Um, mental health things like um, depression anxiety there is a big connection between between chronic low-grade inflammation and these um, um, mental health conditions so that's another reason to be supporting your um, immune health to help reduce this inflammation Um, and there's a lot of other um, important reasons for supporting immune function uh, one of them is defense against different diseases. Mm-hmm. So it's important to maintain that strong immune function so that your body is able to fight off these these infections, because if you're if you're not able to fight off these infections, these things will linger um, mm-hmm. and they're going to start to cause complications in the body like um one of the most common things is the Epstein-Barr virus.
0: I was literally in my head thinking, (laughs) it's like literally Epstein-Barr virus. Yeah. yeah. in my mind. Yeah. Yeah,
1: It's like, it's one of those things that like can keep resurfacing. Yeah. And and that's another thing too, um, is that if you, um, if you get sick with certain things and your immune system is having a hard time fighting it off, these, um, these illnesses like Epstein-Barr virus, um, these unwanted pathogens, they can be reactivated. So mm-hmm. it's like not only are you dealing with the, the illness that you have now, you know, maybe it's like the cold, just a regular cold, or maybe it's the flu, um, then these other things can be activated. So it's like your body needs to do even more work to try to get rid of all of this. Um, so those, yeah one really important reason to be supporting your immune system.
0: Yeah, yeah. And kind of going off of Epstein-Barr virus, um, I have been really intrigued by autoimmune disease for a really long time. And I mean, a lot of cancers too, like breast cancer. I'm very, like, I just, I focus on these things as I find them super interesting and as to why they are occurring, obviously. Why is our immune system fighting back? And that's why I was always like, immune, autoimmune diseases really intrigue me. And it's interesting because I've heard links that autoimmune diseases are potentially caused by Epstein-Barr virus. And, um, you know, I don't know, like, 100 percent the truth behind that. I'm still kind of like delving deeper into that fact. But um, and Epstein-Barr virus is the, the virus before mono. So if you've had mono you've contracted Epstein-Barr virus, which as Jenna said, it lingers in your system after the fact. So you will potentially always have Epstein-Barr virus, um, which can create other illnesses to come out. But Epstein, a little bit on it is that, There's few studies pointing the development of autoimmune disease to Epstein-Barr virus, which suppresses and eliminates other viruses from your body to create an environment in your body where those viruses can't thrive, making Epstein-Barr virus the only living, uh, the only one living in your system wrecking habit. So most people are infected by the Epstein-Barr virus in early childhood. It usually causes no symptoms or only a brief mild illness like mono, um, which, isn't mild in everybody, it can be very debilitating. Um, and then when teens or young adults, that's the mono. Um, and EBV remains dormant in most uh, people, but they remain infected throughout your life. And um, this can cause flare ups due to a current stress, pathogens diet, etc. And so I find that to be kind of interesting. And I'm still, like I said, delving deeper into that as to like how I've seen bar viruses affect autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, Epstein-Barr virus is um, a part of the herpes viruses, which there's a ton of them out there. So every time we think herpes are like, oh, cold sores or genital or something. But there's so many other herpes viruses, shingles, chickenpox, Epstein-Barr, encephalitis, you know, things like that. So, you know... This is a very intriguing thing for me and I'm still, like I said, I can't wait to find out more about how the Epstein-Barr virus affects our system and immune disease, and autoimmune diseases. So I'm really happy you brought that up because yeah. I, I'm like, what is this virus and what's going on with it? So,
1: <laughs> yeah, I know it's yeah. Originally, like I feel like when you when you first learn about herpes, it is like the, the cold sores and the, yeah. um, the genital warts and that sort of thing. Um, and I, when I was taking my herbalism training, one of the herbalists, they, they talked about herpes and how there's, you know, a lot of different variations and basically like everyone has some form of herpes um, virus that's in their body. And, um, I remember them saying like, herpes is a friend to you and me. (laughs) It's like, everyone has herpes.
0: Yeah. I mean, like it's like it's literally out there. It is a, sorry, everybody, like we most likely have it. And I mean, I've had shingles before, like it, it sucked. And everybody's like, you know, that's herpes. And I'm like, what do you mean? And I'm like, you know, and then they're like, yeah, I mean, it's not the same thing. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) okay. And cold sores, kids get them, you know, at young ages and Mm -hmm. that's, how potentially from kissing an adult, but like, where did that come from all of a sudden? But
1: yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) (laughs) so Um, about Epstein-Barr viruses also, there's a big link between chronic fatigue and yeah. So people who are suffering from chronic fatigue syndrome, there is an increased chance that they have that, that has been reactivated and um, their body is unable to, um, to deal with it, so there's there's other reasons, you know, uh, root causes of chronic fatigue um, and autoimmune conditions. But yeah, it's really interesting how that's come out that Epstein Barr is. Mm. It's a tricky
0: one. <laughs> yeah, I know. I be I I've, I started writing. That's basically what my program is about. I told you I was writing a program for like years already. Just life happens and whatever. But it's it's about natural ways to heal autoimmune disease. And um, so I did go into Epstein Barr a little bit with that, and in that program. And when I finish, I'm I'm hoping that you know people kind of are they they like the idea of doing that because autoimmune disease has skyrocketed like in the last few years. I mean, that's 10, 15, 20 years, you know, like that's why. So I know we talked, I think we said something like this too with Leela when we had our episode, I think six, we were mentioning how all these things kind of skyrocketed. So, you know, is Epstein-Barr virus the culprit? So (laughs) who
1: knows? Yeah, I think it's a mix, you know, as we go Mm -hmm. to this episode, we'll talk about like- the holistic approach to supporting immune health, but yeah, I think it's definitely a mix. It's like mm-hmm. um, a mix between like poor diet, nutrient deficiencies, chronic stress. Um, let's see, yeah, like those sort of things. Yeah, um, poor yeah. sleep, like all of that can fuel um, immune system imbalances and, and create that that autoimmunity. Um, Yeah, another thing you mentioned was cancer. Um, So another reason to support immune health is um, the protection against against cancer because your immune system, it plays a really critical role in the surveillance against cancer cells. Mm -hmm. Um, The immune cells recognize and destroy cells that undergo undergo malignant transformation, um, preventing them from proliferating and um, forming into tumors um so cancer you know obviously that's a complicated subject it's not Mm -hmm. you know cut and dry like doing this is going to prevent it but it is one of the um one of the main things that you should focus on for uh cancer prevention um and also um i guess it depends on the treatment you're undergoing with cancer um i don't think you if you have cancer you don't want there's like specific protocols that you have to follow. Like you don't Mm -hmm. want to be doing things that are supporting your immune system because, um, you, you don't want it to interact with the medications, but there, that's thing. Those are things that you can focus on after your cancer treatment. Definitely work with a a professional on that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Depending on which route you go for sure. Because like she said, like chemotherapy and radiation, you know, Mm there's some that can cause a bunch of interactions with that. I have definitely researched a lot of that too, cause you know, when you hear about someone getting cancer, you automatically want to just start sending them, you know, herbal supplements or yeah. these vitamins are the best for you and this, that, and the, but you know, you gotta be, you gotta be sensitive to what their, their treatment they're, they're using. And, <clears throat> and you know, that could be, an episode in the future about like maybe postpartum cancer or something or, um, you know, motherhood in cancer. I don't know. That could be something we discuss later on. Uh, maybe yeah, next season.
1: Sure. Yeah, um, I've noticed there is definitely an increasing rate of that as well. So these issues that are rooted in immune system health, um, there's something going on. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I was going to say something about, um, How the proliferation, um, but I can't remember. If it comes to me, I'll I'll bring it up. But that can kind of ease us into uh, diet and 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 how that plays a role in our system. Um, You know, as a mom, it's it can be challenging. You know, you're let's say you're a working mother, forty hours. You got to come home and cook. You got to take care of your kids. Then you have homework. Then you have bath time. Then you have Whatever the list is endless, cleaning, etc. Um, you tend to potentially forget about the nutritional side of things because you're going, going, going. And so that's something that I really as a postpartum doula like to help out my new moms is create good food meals for them that they can eat for a few days and stuff. Because one thing that, you know, our country in our hemisphere is like the western diet um, primarily in you know america i mean a lot of other countries have adapted it which hasn't been great because you saw an influx of disease in those countries but um actually i think this kind of brings a side note there is a study and um, and these polish women or families came over from poland to america and beforehand they were eating a polish diet that consists of like potatoes, onions, soups, fermented soups. Um, and I do know this because I have a Polish boyfriend and I'm fed tons of Polish food. It's delicious in my opinion. Um, but they came over to America, started eating the Western diet, and in a matter of five to 10 years, they all developed obesity uh, diseases. And it just kind of goes to show you that, you know, adapting this diet is not always the best, but. America has a lot of influence on other countries. So, but um the western diet was established during the industrial era and completely altered the nat- the nutritional physiognome I can never say this word but physiognomies physiognomies whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but basically that's that's the the body system, the body systems. Um of our but of our ancestral diets. So that's cultural diets, heritages and stuff, those heritage diets, like Italian, for instance, Polish, yada yada. Um the Western diet is associated with the excessive overconsumption of sugars, carbohydrates, omega-6 fatty acids, proteins, which protein isn't bad for you, it's the amount of protein. Um salt, once again not bad for you, it's the amount of salt. Um and type of salt, exactly. And processed foods, which You know those we'll get into that a little bit, but a proper nutritious diet should consist of the balance between Micronutrients vitamins and minerals and macronutrients carbohydrates proteins and lipids for the body to function appropriately However, the evolution of the Western diet has affected the disposition of the human body with the adjustment of seven fundamental qualities such as glycemic load fatty acid so glycemic is um, sugar your uh, your glycemic levels shooting up and then uh, skyrocketing down, attributing to fatigue um, and a lot of other uh, situations going on, illnesses, uh, fatty acid composition, macronutrient composition, micronutrient, and then um, this is a little sciencey, so I apologize. But and then fiber content. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> The constant imbalance of these nutritional qualities have contributed to the influx of inflammation, which we've touched on a little bit, touch on more, Um, the ability to fight off infection, cancer proliferation, um, and then as as we've said numerous times, the increased risk of allergic and auto-inflammatory diseases. So that means, and it's very challenging to do this, but eliminating and reducing inflammatory foods, like high red meat and dairy filled diets so if you're just you know eating a lot of red meat protein high you know steaks and um uh let's say like steak cup of a gallon of milk and um potatoes all the time like you're not getting a full balanced meal even though those could be good in smaller occasions um Processed foods, those are hard to process in the gut, ruin your gut bacteria, bog down your liver, no nourishment. Sugars, refined sugars, high fructose, corn syrup, and then refined carbs. I am a big sayer that, you know, not all carbs are bad, but uh, because they do get a bad rep, but we're talking about the ones that don't provide good fiber um, within the body. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so this could bring us into incorporating. Better foods for our immune health. Yeah, so, for sure.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Like you mentioned, like traditional diets mm-hmm. are um, anti-inflammatory because they're usually filled with different um, whole foods, less processed foods. Um, processed foods, that that isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's right. just um, ultra-processed foods that mm-hmm. we want to avoid. So things. Processing can be anything from, like, refrigeration, freezing, cooking, um, canning, fermenting. Like, those are forms of processing, and those those aren't inherently bad. Um, right. It's it's when it's taken too far and the nutrients are stripped from the food, the fiber is stripped from the food. Exactly. Um, and you're eating basically just nutrient-void, high-calorie um, nutrient void, high calorie, um foods um Mm -hmm. so you're not giving your body what it needs um nutritionally uh you're not getting the nutrients that support immune system things like vitamin c um zinc selenium vitamin a those are all really important for supporting your immune health um yeah like you mentioned fiber so like things like prebiotic fibers which help to support um the growth of friendly bacteria in the gut that's Mm -hmm. going to support Um, immune health um, and healthy fats so things like omega-3s like you mentioned a diet high in omega-6s is going to be inflammatory so Mm -hmm. that's things like um, seed oils like canola oil vegetable oil Um, so focusing on healthier fats um, like things high in omega-3s like seafood particularly fatty fish Mm -hmm. um i use the acronym smash which is um salmon mackerel anchovies sardines and herring Mm. those are all really great fatty fish to include in your diet regularly at least two to three times a week um having those fatty fish to get a lot of omega-3s get that anti-inflammatory effect but there's also other healthy fats that you want to focus on using like Um, The Mediterranean diet is a really well-known traditional diet that has been studied extensively. Like There's so much research on the Mediterranean diet, Um, and one of the biggest things is its anti-inflammatory effect, and a big part of that is olive oil, Mm. getting cold-pressed, extra virgin olive oil, just using that every time you cook, Um, it has a smoke point, I think, around like 400. So if you you can cook with it, but you just don't want to cook with it at higher temperatures. Um, And it's still gonna maintain its benefits. Um, So olive oil, avocado oil, um, Mm -hmm. also just avocados. Um, Coconut is also really great. It contains Mm -hmm. um, um, medium chain triglycerides, um, which is beneficial to the body and it, It also has an antifungal property, Mm antimicrobial property to it, coconut oil and coconut products. So that's also really great. And another really big piece is um, with whole foods, it maintains um, antioxidants as well, Mm -hmm. different plant compounds, different phytonutrients. So when you have ultra processed food and you're stripping all this away, you're also getting rid of those really beneficial phytonutrients and and bitter compounds that help with digestion and mm-hmm. um, supporting overall health and especially immune health. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, when it comes to animal proteins, um, I think red meat is definitely, it can definitely be a healthy part of yeah. someone's diet. And yep. um, it's a great source of a lot of different nutrients. Um, but I'd say, Probably it needs to be in balance with everything mm-hmm. else. Um, so, like you said, not just eating like red meat and potatoes <laughs> all yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, but animal proteins are great. Things like poultry, red meat, eggs, dairy, if it's tolerated, particularly mm-hmm. um, whole, whole fat dairy. Yep. Yeah. Whole.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Keeping the fat in there. Um, I personally think that if you're buying animal proteins and products, they should be organic just Mm -hmm. due to, um, um, just non-organic, um, animal feed can be more inflammatory. So, you know, if these animals are eating inflammatory diets and you're eating the animal proteins, they're also going to affect your body. They're, Right. usually higher in omega sixes um, but I understand that's not available to everyone so I'd say you know at a minimum making sure that they don't contain any hormones or antibiotics mm-hmm. um, if you're buying these proteins um, and and just oh another thing um, did you I can't remember if you touched on this but the fermented foods um, yep
0: yep a little that, bit because of the Polish that, side yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, so
1: fermented foods, if they're um, they can be higher in histamine. So, And also, if you're not used to eating fermented foods, it, it's, it's really important to start at really low um, amounts. Mm-hmm. So even just like a teaspoon of um, sauerkraut juice, you know, just for a few days, just doing that teaspoon and like mm-hmm. gradually increasing it because you can cause some digestive distress if you're going full force <laughs> to yeah. the fermented foods, um, you're likely to cause some some unwanted um, benefits, uh, unwanted side effects, and um, and you can even uh, create uh, gut issues from having yeah. too many probiotics going in at once.
0: Uh, yeah. I want to add in a a smidge because the Mediterranean, I grew up on that. So like it's very ingrained in my head and a little bit on it is how you can remember is, so you can picture your plate, half put a line down the middle, half of your plate should be vegetables, put another line down one side, make it a quarter, quarter is gonna be your meat or whatever your protein. And then the other quarter is going to be your grain or your fiber of some sort. So you need your insoluble and soluble fibers to help balance that gut. Um, and that's how I like to look at it. That's very Mediterranean to me is very vegetable forward, a little bit of meat, a little bit of grain. And then on touching on the olive oil is we want to be careful about which we choose to because, you know, Jenna said extra virgin all the way. But when you look at your ingredients and you're looking at your olive oil make sure you choose an olive oil that's based around taking grape or grapes taking olives from one country so one place not this olive comes from tunisia rome spain portugal because then what 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 are you getting right there you know and so you got to be careful about your olive oils Um, When you get them and then like she said swapping out the canola swapping out the vegetable and using olive oil I also have really been used started using ghee and I've been really loving that Um, uh, It's really nice high in good fats Another thing to add in based around because we said whole milk whole dairy products because when you have skim or percent 2% they extract the whole and add sugar And we don't want high sugar that's going to influence inflammatory responses as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we want to be careful about the amount of, or the type of dairy, type of olive oil that we choose because those can provide some inflammatory responses. And it is hard to only shop organic. I've Luckily, you know figured out ways to get it but start small get organic vegetables or get organic meat Get you know and then work incorporate different Parts of it. So you're not potentially spending an arm and a leg just to get organic, you know Just start with your vegetables this week or do your meats next week or do your So you're getting a little bit every time. Um, that's how I like to tell mm-hmm
1: Sorry, yeah, there's also the clean 15 and dirty dozen list. Yes, yep. So if you um, aren't sure which vegetables are kind of like and fruits high priority for organic, um, then those are good lists to go off of.
0: Yeah, for sure. I know celery is like top on that list because like root vegetables are in the ground, they tend to soak things up. Like celery is a very, it soaks up where it's going to be. Um, so you want to be careful about those types of those vegetables because you want to make sure that those are kind of the ones without the pesticides and that are going to be organic or whatever. Um, and then Jenna also touched on histamine food. So um sometimes we don't realize that we're having like allergic reactions to food because we're just constantly eating and taking in nutrients as best as we can so we don't realize like we don't stop and say this food might be causing me a little bit of a reaction i mean that could be anything from let's say like well as mentioned before fermented that could be like mushrooms it could be tomatoes um you know, just certain foods that just cause a little bit of a reaction that might be really good for us, but we're potentially allergic to them. So um, it's good to kind of like take a step back and like eat. What's the word? Um, mindfully. So you are eating and then you're realizing how this is going in your body. You're slowly You're chewing. I think it's like 30 chews before putting them in your system like that. Um, And then stopping and wondering how your body's reacting to this food. So I've noticed, you know, certain foods cause me to get bubble gut. And that's, you know, like, it's uncomfortable, it can cause like some issues in the GI, it can cause constipation. And it's my, my gut is just like, and I'm like, what's going on? Okay, what did I eat prior to that? That's causing me to have a little bit about a little bit about of uh, bubble gut so like raw onions have caused me to have that so I prefer like cooked onions for sure and or like slightly cooked like I like them still with a crunch but like things like that can cause that kind of reaction that you you should maybe potentially just stop and say let me keep a diary of what's going in my body and uh, mindfully eat so that can help build your immune system too because you're lessening those uh, those triggering foods
1: yeah yeah it can be really tricky to figure out if certain foods are bothering you Mm -hmm. there's an immediate reaction like you mentioned like um onions that that is a high fodmap food when it's Mm -hmm. um, especially when it's raw so um that sort of thing it, it tends to have a more immediate reaction but things like histamine foods foods that are high in histamine Um, and other food sensitivities can take, um, even up to like three days to get a reaction. Mm -hmm. Um, like personally, I, I have a high sensitivity to, um, gluten and eggs. And, um, if I eat them, I get severe fatigue. Um, I get depressed. Um, every time, every time. Wow. Mm -hmm. So, and, um, so if I eat them, it's usually like two days after that's, wow. day that's going to peak. Um, I'm not going to feel it much the day after. Although eggs, it does seem to be that way. But gluten, so that's a bit quicker. Be, it can sometimes be a little more of a delayed reaction, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I can be depressed for and tired for three days, maybe longer
0: following long the three days, or when like, it yes, starts. Okay, wow,
1: fits, yeah. Yeah, there was one time I (laughs) was accidentally glutened, I think it was last summer maybe, and someone, um, I just blindly trusted what they were making and they were corn muffins. And I said, you know, things that I am sensitive to and um, gluten and so I just assumed that that wasn't in there because it was a a bag mix. So whoever made it didn't look at the bag just also Mm -hmm. assumed that it didn't have gluten. And come to find out that, um, so I ate a whole bunch. And then for a week after that, I was so tired. I was feeling so depressed. And then I saw the bag, um, the bag mix in the grocery store, and I was like, those are really good. <laughs> like, I want to look at them. <laughs> like, I want to get them again. And then I looked at the ingredients, and it was like, wheat. the first one i was like oh my god This explains everything so you know sometimes people think like oh it's all in your head like no right you're gonna have this reaction so it it happens but like that was that was a moment where i like i was like yeah it's definitely not in my head because interesting (laughs) yeah
0: because right like you know why like you you don't attribute like three days later that it could have been from food, you know, you're like, oh, maybe I'm just feeling down today. Maybe I'm, you know, I caught something. And that's really intriguing too, because if you're eating these foods and you don't know that, you know, three days away, you're potentially lowering your immune system too. And then attract, potentially attracting, a, you know, a pathogen to come on in because you're susceptible at that point. Um, so that's kind of interesting too. I, you know, and I love when Jenna and I are on these, these, the podcast because we both just bounce off of each other so well because there's so many things that like i have on my outline and she'll have on her outline and then we just come on with all of our information and it's just like so cool to see that you know what she teaches me and stuff but um yeah, for sure do you have celiacs or is it just like a gluten intolerance you
1: know i'm not sure because i so after i gave birth to my first um I was in my herbalism program and they were all about the paleo diet and a big part of that was doing a whole 30. So I did a whole 30 and, um, I, I felt better during it. So I continued to eat gluten-free. Um, and then I just started to notice that things, um, that it would bother me when I would eat it. Um, and I'd get, like I said, the symptoms of fatigue and depression. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I do have the, the gene um, that makes me, so there's a gene, um, I forget what it is exactly. It's like CP CPY or CYP or something like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't gene, know that, okay. There's, there's two different genes. And so every person who has celiac has one of those genes wow okay not everyone who has that gene will develop celiac so you can you're also more likely to develop um non-celiac gluten sensitivity so i'm not sure if i actually had celiac and just never realized it right i never had um like skin rashes right okay like eczema or something yeah i never really had a lot of digestive issues i think i i've always been like slightly prone to constipation which can be a sign of celiac right not necessarily like depending on your diet um so and i'm not willing (laughs) i'm not willing to like eat gluten for a month and then get a biopsy done yeah oh my god i would feel terrible so at this point like I just know I can't eat it. So
0: right, might yeah, as well just really stay away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, and some people kind of like put their nose up when you like say that you you can't eat gluten, but like they do, gluten, don't they? Non-celiac gluten sensitivity is a real thing. It's been studied. It's been proven. Yeah, a hundred percent real. And um, yeah, so that's. I mean, that's just one example of a food sensitivity, and um, I'd say unless you know what food sensitivities you have, um, I think it's important to work with a practitioner who understands um, how to actually figure out um, your food sensitivities or or doing some sort of food sensitivity test. Um, Although with those, they can be overwhelming and then you might cut out all these different things and um, that can be too much too. So I'd say, you know, if you're if you're listening to this and you're like i wonder if i have a food sensitivity like i really recommend working with a practitioner because you don't want to cut too much out of your diet no um, because that that can cause more problems Mm -hmm. Um, so but yeah that's just that's one thing that can um reduce immune function and it's definitely potential for something and
0: i think this also like this kind of bounces off like the olive oil thing like um you know, our gluten in America is also just not that great either. And due to, you know, pesticides and antifungals in the ground and all these things that are herbic all these things we put in the ground and our wheat is like, you know, GMO. And I, I think someone told me that also corn is not all real anymore. I don't know, you know, but um, I heard somebody, multiple people, i don't know if i said this before but multiple people have gone to europe or other countries where they've had like normal gluten and they do not have an issue um so and i'm not saying go to europe and try it out but you know it's interesting that in another country or in other countries we don't see this same problem happening and creating this lowered immune health in america that are other countries having that same lower immune health due to their, their food, you know? So, yeah,
1: it's, gluten's a really interesting one because the way I don't know if, if any wheat has been genetically modified, but I know it's been bred, um, to a point where it's, it contains a high amount of, um, I think it's called glutenin. Okay. Um, it's a protein. There's different gluten proteins. Um, so it has a higher amount of the glutinous proteins in it. And gluten actually affects, it interacts with your, um, your gut barrier. So it can actually increase um, gut permeability. So the more gluten that um, wheat has, or gluten-containing grains have, the more likely it is to interact with that, um, that gut barrier and be like, hey, let me in. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I can open the doors and go in. So, so that's one thing. And yeah, like you said, like the pesticides, so, um, and all the chemicals that they're putting on wheat is just, it's
0: so bad. bad.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, so if you are able to, if you are eating grains that contain gluten, um, are a lot of grains actually in the U.S. I would say those that's do. another good one to get organic and mm-hmm. yeah, it's really interesting how people can go to other countries and and not have issues with gluten. And I know that um, some people they they ship um, like pastas and stuff from other countries,
0: yeah. Um, I'm but about but to start. They doing still that. want to eat it. <laughs> yeah.
1: They don't want to have those those weird reactions. So
0: yeah, I. I'm fortunate to, I mean, I don't think I have a gluten intolerance, but, um, I don't eat that much bread. I love bagels a lot. Um, I would eat a bagel like three times a day if I could. Um, I love bagels, but I think a good substitute for that type of stuff is white rice is really great. And, um, you know, get getting your fiber from more of the other side of like beans, legumes, white rice. Um, is barley gluten free? I didn't think so. I didn't think so, but I mean, barley is a good one if you're if you don't have an intolerance. But um, <clears throat> there's uh, quinoa. I think quinoa is gluten free. Yeah, quinoa, um, and then. Um, Lentils are great for that. They can cause a little bit of constipation if not cooked properly, but lentils could be a good substitute for all that. And that are like high in fiber and stuff um, if you do have gluten. But I love white rice. And you know, there's that whole uh, thing with brown rice and white rice, that whole versus. Um, I'm a white rice girl personally. Um, In certain countries in Asia, they've been taking the rice out of a little packaging basically you know you the little uh, grain I guess I don't know for years and uh, brown rice is essentially keeping it in that little coating that like little coat I guess that it has so um, when you take it out it it helps digest better in the system than having that brown coat on top of it so
1: yeah um, yeah for sure. Um, another thing is um, before we, we can move on to supplements and herbs, I just want to mention the importance of hydration. Mm, um, mm-hmm. So hydration is really important for, um, for the transportation of immune cells and nutrients because it's um, a, what um, it makes up a large part of your blood and your blood is what's transporting immune cells and the nutrients that your immune cells need um, to function properly. Um, It also helps with removing toxins and waste Mm -hmm. from the body. Um, So when you're having an immune response to something and your immune cells are neutralizing the threats, they are creating waste. Um, So that's going to help with the detoxification um, to prevent any buildup of toxins, um, which can negatively impact your immune system Yep, it's also important for that mucosal immunity so like the mucus lining up your gut like i talked about before um, which helps to trap any invaders um, lymph lymph production as well um, water is a big component of lymph um, mm-hmm. and that's going to help filter and remove waste and toxins as well um, and Yeah. Also fever response. Um, so when you're sick, um, that can increase the loss of fluids. So staying hydrated is important during, um, sicknesses. Yes.
0: Especially a fever. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, you want to stay hydrated for sure. I like to, uh, propose sometimes doing like a little bit of intermittent fasting, um, nothing too crazy, but just like creating a a how you like what time frame you eat in. Like, I like to eat between the hours of like 10 and six or 10 and seven and keep it within that, and then drink lots, keep myself hydrated in those that time after, whether it be water, lemon water, broth, tea. Um, and I also do like to drink tea during my after my meals if I have the time to do it because drinking tea is hydrating but also, you know, helping remove and get things passing through you certain teas. Well, and we'll get it with the herbs, but, um, yeah. um, yeah, for sure. I yeah. want to talk about mushrooms a little bit. I yeah. am obsessed with mushrooms. I love them. They're one of my favorite foods and I'm not talking about psychedelic mushrooms. I'm talking about like <laughs> culinary medicinal mushrooms and yes, psychedel- psychedelic could be the wrong thing, but, um, that's besides the point. But, um, so, like the theory of using plants for medicinal purposes is a developing reality in the Western culture. And I mean, yes, it's been around. Native Americans have always been involved, obviously with, you know, gathering herbs, but like us as our new culture of things, um, it's very new to us. And foraging, I feel like, is becoming more of a thing. Like there's always been foragers, obviously, but in our American, culture like we're now starting to forage and get familiar with the earth and get really deep with it and grounding and all that but um Eastern medicine has always incorporated plants into their diet and one of those is mushrooms and Mushrooms are low in calories. They're cholesterol free and nutrient dense including selenium potassium riboflavin vitamin B's nice. So niacin and riboflavin uh, vitamin D, proteins, and fiber. So this is this could be a really good substitute for like the really big meat lovers, especially the red meat lovers. Like adding mushrooms in because they have that meaty texture. Um, and not only do mushrooms consist of important nutrients, the bioactive compounds of mushrooms are polysaccharides, um, amino acids, triterpenes, terpenoids um and they have antimicrobial antiviral anti-tumor antioxidant might <laughs> say it like that antioxidant um anti-allergenic adaptogen immunomodulating um hypoglycemic hepatoprotective which is the liver and then anti-inflammatory properties um, which can be used against illnesses and colds flus chronic illness etc and um, mushrooms such as shiitake, oyster, reishi, turkey tail, cordyceps, shaga, lion's mane, maitake, or hen of the woods, maitake, hen of the woods. Um, And if you don't like the taste or the texture, you could always dehydrate and ground up into capsules. You could always drink it in tea with other herbs, Um, get a tincture for yourself. Um, There's alcohol-based tinctures and then there's oil-based tinctures so an oil-based tincture is a little bit different but um and then coffee there's really good coffee brands now that have mushrooms in there and we've said this before you got to be careful about your supplements and where you get your products from because some supplement companies say they have stuff in them and then they don't actually have that in them and mushroom companies are one of those so um four sigmatic is really great um I can't remember the other one, but the Paul Stamets one has been pretty decently researched and is, I can't remember the name of it, um, Host Defense, there you host go.
1: Host
0: yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. like, Defense, yeah. I was like, I was like, it's not the tip of my
0: tongue. Um, <laughs> and you know, there's kind of like a bunch of haters on Paul Stamets, but he made mushrooms pretty big. You know, he's, mm-hmm. hes yeah, they, you know, well, there's always a hater somewhere. Yeah. Um, but he's kind of made mushrooms, you know, like uh, he's one of the influencers of mushrooms, and I would say like our American culture. So, um, I highly suggest looking into Four Sigmatic, though. I did so, I did my research paper, my thesis, and my master's on mushrooms. And I, um, if you if anyone has any more questions on them, they please come to me. I love talking about it. Um, I like geek out on mushrooms, but they're so good for us and they help prevent illnesses and um, they're super high in bioactive compounds, which a lot of herbs and foods are. So uh, this can kind of bring us into herbs, I guess, and and uh, delving deeper into the herbal side of the herbal medicine side of things. and. Once again, like, you know, we're two people you can talk to a lot about herbs. We love herbs. Um, We're both very knowledgeable on that. And uh, one thing I always like talking about is the fact that herbs have energetics. And uh, this is essentially distinguishing characteristics of the plant's properties and qualities. So this is not to be confused with the actions and actions are antimicrobial, anti-inflammatory, analgesic, which is pain relief, et cetera, and so forth. They are the, um, they're represented with temperature, moisture, and tone. So like pungent, moistening, and drying. And some of the herbs I like when I'm sick are, um, moistening herbs because they create that expectorant property. That's the action. So moistening is the energetic, expectorant is the action, and expectorant means letting out all of the mucus and just getting it all out so um, mullein is one of my favorites for that marshmallow root is really good not to be confused with marshmallow it's marshmallow um, and those relieve mucus from the lungs and the chest due to their moistening energetics Um, another good one for cold and flu are like warming and cooling herbs Uh, So like cooling is like dandelion, lemon balm, and then um, aloe vera, which is also, I'm pretty sure an an expectorant too, or a, I think it's an, or a a laxative, so it can expel that way. And then warming herbs like uh, calendula, cayenne, ginger, uh, and rosemary could be really good for Cold and flu and fevers and um, fevers with chills, ex- especially because um, you. I like to pair herbs based around my symptoms or my what I'm going through. So that's what I really love to talk to people about is like pairing the right herb to your de- to the desired effect. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So if you want to go into a little bit about that too,
1: yeah, for sure. So if you're like, when in doubt, if you're sick go for ginger yes <laughs> like ginger. ginger oh my god is amazing it's favorite warming. like it it feels good in your throat so mm-hmm. like if you have a sore throat if anything's going on with your digestive system it helps to bring some warmth in, in there and it's very settling to like nausea um and also it helps with with headaches too mm. feel. um it's i think it's um i think it's in chinese medicine it is It's one of those herbs that's used, you know, when you're sick, just go to that. Um, So I think that's, that's really great. My, I've trained my kids now that when they feel a little sick, the first thing they're asking for is ginger tea. (laughs)
0: Love that. Good for them. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And they like it too. So um, ginger's great. Um, Also, if you have um, anything going on in the respiratory system, so whether it's, in the sinuses, um, in the lungs, you have that congestion. Doing steams mm-hmm. are really great. So, you mentioned rosemary. You can do a steam with rosemary. You can do a steam with thyme. Um, those are some of the best ones. They have really strong antimicrobial actions. Um, so, if you've never done a thyme steam before, you can definitely look it up on Google. Mm-hmm. i sure there's videos on YouTube. But it's pretty simple. You take a medium sized pot. You fill it up with um, water, maybe about halfway. You bring it to a boil. Um, then you put a um, an oven mitt um, or a towel folded up well on the table, just to you know avoid the hot pot being directly on the table. So mm-hmm. you put that on the table. You put the um, pot on top of it, and then you take a big blanket mm-hmm. or a big towel and you put it over you like a tent, so that you're tenting yourself over the um, over the pot. And then you put, this is important, you have to wait to put the the dried herbs, they have to be dried, you put them in the pot so that the essential oils um, in the plants um, are um, taken up by the steam. And mm-hmm. you don't want to sit too close, but you want to be close enough that you are breathing in good deep breaths through your nose, um, getting that, that steam in there. And you can stay there five to 10 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. And if you're sick you want to do that um, at least once a day but ideally like two even three times a day if you're able to um and moistening herbs too like you said Mm -hmm. if things are feeling dry so the steam is going to help a little bit with the um the dryness but because um thyme and rosemary are more drying you you would also want to um use moistening herbs like making a a tea with mullein Mm -hmm. Um, and that's I mean that's another thing too so if you want the moistening benefits of mucilaginous herbs it needs to be in a um a cold infusion so that it doesn't necessarily have to be cold water it could be cool or room temperature water but it needs to sit in that water for at least two hours if you have overnight that's one of the best ways just put it out let it sit um, but that's really what's going to draw out the mucilaginous er- herbs. Um, so if you say you um, you want to make a tea with with mullen, has the, the, um, the moistening benefits, and you want to add ginger in it, um, which needs hot water, you can always make the tea hot and then let it cool. And you just have mm-hmm. to make sure that it's sitting for at least two hours at that room temperature to extract it. Um,
0: that's... I have to add in that that's really interesting, and I did not know that about Mulin, so this is really good information because you know I think of herbs just going in tea and just like you know and and I think that also once again plays into herbs have energetics, herbs have actions, and herbs have a way to be you know infused into things for us to get the Uh, Components of it in our system. So I think that's really interesting too I I didn't know that and I love that and now I just bought a big bag of mullein from Mountain Rose herbs And I'm gonna let it sit in cool water now. So (laughs) Really excited and also just bought echinacea too. I was so sad. I have an echinacea plant and Echinacea is on the potential endangered plant list. So we have to be very careful but so if you have get seeds start planting um, et cetera, whatever. But anyways, so I have a plant. I cut some off. I was super excited. I dried it. I thought I did it well. They grew mold. And I was like, no, <laughs> I know I didn't dry them long enough. I was so sad. And I even have a dehydrator and I didn't do it. I didn't use it. I was like, I'm going to go old fashioned. I just let it sit out in the sun and yeah. no. So make sure you dry your herbs if you have them in your garden, uh, put them in the oven on a low heat, like 100, I think it had one something. I, I It's not hot for a very slow, long time. They'll dry out, get all that excess moisture out. Um, but yeah, just make sure you do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. But yeah, I was pissed about that. But anyway. <laughs> yeah,
1: but yeah, that's too bad. Um, another thing about echinacea is that it actually boosts your immune system. So that's another misconception mm-hmm. um, that I mentioned in the beginning is that boosting your immune system is always a good thing. Um, and it's not. So mm-hmm. if you um, have um, any sort of autoimmune condition, then it's sometimes recommended to avoid echinacea because it can boost it up too much. And elderberry. So it's Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yep. And also, um, so with echinacea, it's not something that you want to take long term, mm-hmm. all the time. You only want to take it when you first start getting sick. Yep. Um, and so it's not used as a preventative herb. It is used um, to like get that sickness right in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see, some other herbs, um, astragalus is also great. Mm-hmm. So that it, that can be used as a preventative um, herb, so that's you can take that long term, um, and you want to take you want to start taking it when you're not sick um, to help to modulate the immune system. Um, that's
0: also and, an adaptogen, right? Yeah, Yeah, I'm yep. pretty sure. it's yep. that's
1: an adaptogen, um, and just some vitamin C rich herbs, things like rose hips, hibiscus. Metals, mm-hmm. Those can be taken um, regularly. Um, drink as tea. That's one of the best ways to get that vitamin C. Um, but making sure the water isn't too hot, and if you do steep herbs with vitamin C, make sure that you you cover it. Um, whatever you're putting it in, put the cover on so that the vitamin C isn't just um, steamed away and lost mm-hmm. in the steam. Um, Do we want to talk a little bit about um, nutritional supplements and then maybe we can wrap it up?
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we both, once again, we love our supplements and incorporating them into our diets and whether that be food or taking a supplement. you know they're they're a big deal and and maintaining a good immune system um i know we mentioned vitamin c vitamin d uh magnesium l-lysine is one that i uh really like i do get cold sores every now and then and um i notice they they come up during stress or when i'm actually you know my immune system is lowered which tends to be affiliated with stress um uh, and I love L-lysine because it's it's really great for combating that the cold sore, as well as you know getting helping with the immune system. Um, B vitamins, I mean, like a lot of vitamins actually are really, <laughs> they're all pretty much in, in really good for the immune system. Um, quercetin has been one of my favorites too in um, NAC, especially during COVID times, I was really interested in learning about which vitamins are beneficial for preventing as well as just maintaining the immune system. Quercetin and NAC are really good for that. Um, I don't know if many people do know about quercetin, but it's one of my favorites when it comes to immune, immune health. And um, polyphenol rich foods, they have a lot of vitamins and nutrients in them. And then obviously probiotics too. Um, if you want to go into a little bit more about.
1: Yeah, um, let's see, quercetin's great. I uh, mm-hmm. I was taking, I need to reorder more, but um, I was taking quercetin for at least the past years. Quercetin and bromelain, I think that's what really mm-hmm. you're And um, it's a, a now foods supplement. Um, but I'm sure we can find it on Seeking Health too. We'll we'll link some Seeking yes. Health um in the show notes specific to immune health. So definitely check those out. Um, so yeah, that's um those are antioxidant um compounds that help support the immune system. Um, vitamin C another antioxidant. So it, when you're sick, you can take more. Um, it can also be used preventatively. But like I mentioned earlier, just because you get sick, it it doesn't mean you have a weak immune system. It's just getting sick is a, a way of training your immune system. Mm-hmm. So it, it actually is good to get sick every now and then. If you never get sick, um, there might be an issue. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, um, in, you want to,
0: you know, get the antibodies. So it's, yeah. that's a, you know, if you, you know, if you see somebody who has a little bit cold, you catch it, like it's not a bad, bad thing because you want the antibodies for the potential three months later when the cold comes out again or another cold comes out again or whatever. So yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. So that can be taken like um, a thousand to three thousand a day. Mm -hmm. Um, It can cause some um, loose stools. So if you start taking vitamin C and you start to notice your stools becoming looser, then you can reduce the amount that you're taking. Um, But that's great during cold and flu season to just get some extra vitamin C. Um, and vitamin D, making sure you have adequate levels. So I always forget what the measurements are, but it's, you want to aim between 50 and 80. Um, I
0: use it's
1: like, Oh no. Um, like when you get your, your blood levels. Tested.
0: Oh, 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 okay. I thought you so meant like the amount like, okay. Yep.
1: Yeah. It's like 50 to 80 something per deciliter. Um.
0: Don't ask me, yeah,
1: I'm not 100% sure. (laughs) Um, So you can take um, between 1,000 and 2,000 IUs just to maintain adequate levels if you are within that range. Um, Most people though can get away with taking 5,000 IUs, um, Mm -hmm. especially if you're not getting enough sun exposure, um, you're in colder climates. so. if during the winter you know you're not going outside getting that sun then that's a really good time to be taking um five thousand ius um zinc is another really important one too mm-hmm. you don't want to take high doses of zinc in supplement form though um, it can become toxic and mm-hmm. um, it can um, reduce the absorption of copper yeah um, so if you are sick or you're getting sick frequently um then you can take, um, it's recommended to take about like 30 milligrams. Um, and remember these recommendations aren't personalized. So um, if Talk you do want people. personalized recommendations, you need to work with the practitioner. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to watch the way I'm saying these. <laughs> yeah,
0: well everybody, this like is it. all suggestions to you. This is all suggestions. We don't claim anything and you know, mm-hmm. This is all suggestions from people who have experience and degrees in this, but, um, you know, we're not a doctor, so we're not doctors, but, you know, we have thorough education. Um, I do want to add in because I remember I said this before, but I'm going to say it again. Some people have issues with zinc when they take it. I have an issue with zinc when I take it, so I like to eat fish and oysters and things like that to get my zinc in my system. Uh, cause, and like, um, I think some nuts have zinc too. Um, but I can't take a pill form of zinc. It makes me feel very nauseous. So oh,
1: okay. yeah. Even when you take it with food,
0: everything. Yeah. I have tried it a few times and every time I thought I was going to throw up and I was like, I can't deal with this. <laughs> so I don't know why, Do you know what but type? No, I, I don't remember. That. I, uh, I started taking it cause I was like, oh, this is good preventative or this is, you know, whatever. And then I, every time I took it, I was like, at first I was like, oh, maybe I'm just nauseous. And then the second time I was like, okay, I'm nauseous again. And then the third time I was like, oh, I'm now I feel like I'm going to throw up. And I even, yeah. So I think some people just have a little bit of sensitivity due to the amount of that. I mean, I never, I tried maybe I think 15. So um, maybe if I did less than that, it would be better in my system. But
1: Yeah, you can break it up. Mm-hmm. I don't think picolinate is often recommended. I don't know off the top of my head the other forms of zinc. I
0: don't think it was that. So maybe I'll give that a try and see what happens and see how that is, I'm affected by that.
1: Yeah. Um, I think that's pretty much it, though. We covered a whole lot. Um, yeah. I'm sure we, we could go for another <laughs>
0: Oh my god, we really could I can't believe it's an hour and ten. I know. Yes. I did want to add in though, you know, just stress management and just maintaining your life and self-care and allow time for you. So that means like self care routines, baths, aromatherapy that help relieve stress and build your immune system, uh foot massage foot baths with massages and Epsom salt and once again aromatherapy and um, and then re- self relief exercises like deep breathing, light exercises, um, and then, uh, or like light therapy, and then light exercises, and then yoga, Pilates, Tai Chi, sound healing. So, sound bath, sooth- soothing sounds, and like meditation and stuff. Just self care. Add that in, whether it be 10 minutes to an hour. Like, as long as you get some time for yourself to just help. Relax yourself. That's going to be super uh, You know imperative for keeping your immune health strong is even just relieving stress so That's one thing we really like to say to all moms is just try to get some time in there for you. So Yeah Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I second that
0: <laughs> Cool well We had a lot to touch on. I feel like 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 Jenna said, we could talk for another hour. Maybe we'll get into more later. Um, Eventually, I want to definitely get into some endocrine disrupting activity. I think that's going to be really important for us us and some moms to know about. But, um, yeah, so thank you for listening to Episode 8. This is our... a natural immune system support episode. If you're just listening to our series for the first time, we provide new episodes biweekly at the beginning of those weeks. If you haven't yet hit that follow button on Spotify and Apple podcasts to support. Also, if you have any questions, feel free to message us on Instagram at modern moms, wellness, underscore podcast. We appreciate the love as always. And until next time, adios.